and welcome back to yet another episode of Pride or Die. I'm here with Nick Bradley from the Detroiter, and I am David Pike from the Detroit Lions Forum, bringing you exclusive content from Detroit Sports Nation today. How are you feeling this Sunday, Nick? Feel good. Worked through some technical difficulties this morning, so a <laughs> little battle tested already, which is just going to make today the show a breeze, so I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Can't you got to go through some adversity to get the things that you want? You got to battle a little bit. And with that being said, we also know that the Lions just got do just got through battling in OTAs for their second phase, and uh, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to be talking about some specific news stories that came out from OTAs. And with that, the first news story we're going to talk about is Ben Johnson, and Ben Johnson by far got probably the majority or the lion's share, <laughs> to put that in a kind of funny little way to say it, of the media spotlight in this OTA session because he says that he feels that he can call the plays. So my basic question here is since we already know that there's like a power struggle, if you will, or maybe not a power struggle, there's like a – you don't know who's going to call the plays. My question is who do you prefer to call plays? Would you prefer Dan Campbell or would you prefer – Ben Johnson calling the plays. What are your thoughts? It's an interesting little conundrum, obviously, between the head coach and then this Ben Johnson, who, as far as I know, and I know we've talked about him before on here, has been tabbed as this protege, this offensive mind, the next young offensive guru. So from an outsider's perspective, hearing stuff like that, and I remember at the end of last season, I would read quotes, people talking about Ben Johnson going, that's a guy you don't want to leave your building. And I know Dan Campbell did a little bit of play calling last year, but from where I'm sitting, if I had it my way, Ben Johnson, I've heard so much about him and his thing is calling offense. For that reason, I want to see him do it. I want to see, is this guy the wonder kid everybody seems to claim he is? And then on the flip, Dan, Dan Campbell was fine, but I think he would tell you himself, and this is part of why I really like Dan Campbell and what makes him a great leader is, He'd probably tell you himself, like, I don't, I'm not Andy Reid. I'm not a guru offensively. I think what makes Dan Campbell great or what will make him great throughout his tenure in Detroit is he is aware enough to realize, hey, I don't need to be in control of everything all the time, micromanaging each little task. I think what makes him great is he can go, all right, this Ben Johnson kid is really good at calling offense. Fortunately, I found him and he works for me. So Dan Campbell, your job is more so to put those pieces in place, find the guy to call the offense, find the guy to call the defense, and then manage them, manage the egos, the relationships, and let them do their thing versus being a Bill Belichick and being extremely hands-on with every minute detail of a game plan or whatever the case is. To see Ben Johnson get handed the reins, at least to start, and let the young fella fly with it a little bit. How do you feel on that? I'll be frankly honest. I'm a little bit torn on it. And the reason I'm torn is because, again, if we go back to last year, when Dan Campbell took over, there was an immediate, and I say that again, an immediate uptick in offensive production versus when Anthony Lynn was calling the offensive plays. 
And that was a, almost a conundrum in and of itself because here you had Anthony Lynn. He's been a, he was a running backs coach. He'd been an offensive coordinator. He'd been a head coach. You would think that as an offensive-minded coach, he would have been able to do a better job calling plays and designing offensive schemes than what he had done for those nine or ten weeks that he was the play caller. But he couldn't do it. Then all of a sudden, Dan Campbell comes in. He's calling the plays with Ben Johnson running things behind the scenes with the scheme calling and the scheme design. And the offense just goes through the roof in comparison to where it had been the first nine to 10 weeks. So here's the thing. I would like to have Dan Campbell keep calling the plays for a certain amount of time because I do agree. I want to see how Ben Johnson does when he actually gets the full-on range to call the plays. Because again, one of the things we keep hearing is that he likes to utilize multiple schemes, multiple different options from other offensive offensive operations. So for me, it's like, I want to see how Ben Johnson, when he's totally given free control, what he's going to do. But at the same time, I don't want to throw him in too early and then he potentially gets overwhelmed. Because when you're calling offensive plays, you've got to take into a lot of things all within 30 seconds, and you've got to constantly do that throughout the entirety of the game. I just don't want him getting overwhelmed. So I like what we have with Dan Campbell, but I do want to see Ben Johnson at some point. I just don't want him getting potentially overwhelmed along the way, if that makes any sense. That's fair. That's what's interesting, too, is that's like the – it's like a fine line now where, yeah, maybe you don't want to throw him to the fire and whatever would happen. If that's the case, if he gets overwhelmed, he isn't ready for it, whatever. There's obviously those downsides at play. But on the flip side, if you're keeping him on the leash too much, then maybe he starts to go, I need more than this. I'm better than this. I can do bigger things than just this. So it's a very delicate situation for Dan Campbell to maneuver. But again, going back to what I was saying, that's why I do have faith in Dan Campbell is he seems like a guy who in tricky situations is both self-aware enough of himself and the people he's working with that I have the utmost confidence that he'll handle it however it needs to be handled to give the Lions the most success. Absolutely. And if we're going to talk about confidence, Ben Johnson, again, moving into our next topic, he seemed to have a lot of confidence in quarterback Jared Goff because one of the things that he said during his media sessions is that he sat down with Jared Goff early in the season, specifically in the spring, and they sat down and they watched film and they came to an understanding on how they were going to develop the offense. And And Johnson stated that what he wants is to have Jared Goff to have a career year with the Detroit Lions. That's what he <laughs> thinks Jared Goff can have. Um, if that doesn't scream confidence, seeing as how what we've already seen Jared Goff do in L.A., I don't know what that doesn't say. So my question is, do you think that Ben Johnson allowing Jared Goff to have a handprint, actually allowing him to build the offense the way he wants it built, do you think that allows Jared Goff to have a career year in Detroit this year? That absolutely helps. Again, we've disagreed on the career year thing, but it certainly helps, and I like that he's doing that for a couple of reasons. A, just the fact that it's a show of confidence. Like No matter what I think or what anybody thinks about Jared Goff, Never, or at least the coaches, the people in the organization should never be going, oh, you know what, Jared, we really like you, pal, but we're going to, we'll tell you what to do. You just stay in your lane. I like the idea of giving him a little autonomy, giving him the confidence, telling him, hey, what do you think works best for you? Like, we want to work together. We don't want this to be me telling you what to do. We want it to be us finding a solution together. And I feel when you look around the leagues and you look at Pat Mahomes in Kansas City and Andy Reid, 
you look in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, like these non-traditional the guys that don't just sit and throw passes out of a pro-style offense, guys who are getting – they got weird motion. They spread it out. They do all these different things. You look at what makes those guys successful, and a lot of them coming into the league, people said, oh, they can't do it. They're, you know, they, they don't They're sit unique. in the pocket. They're not pocket passers. But what makes them great is those coaches, John Harbaugh, Andy Reid, those guys, Kyle Shanahan now in San Francisco, I assume he'll do the same with Trey Lance. Those guys went to the went to the QB and they said, I have an idea of what the offense will look like. I have an idea of what works, what doesn't. But I want to make sure anything we do, everything we do offensively is based on your strengths. It's based on how you like to play, how you feel the best playing. And that's always that's another like pet peeve of mine, like a football pet peeve where people or coaches just it's like putting a square peg in a round hole, uh, change the hole, break out the table saw, break out the, whatever it is you need to do, get the drill, change the hole, make it fit the QB rather than your QB fitting the hole, if that makes sense. So I like it. I like the idea. And I certainly enjoy the sentiment of like making it a partnership versus just, okay, Jared, go do this, make it happen. So I like it. Yeah. I- I totally agree. And the reason I agree is, again, to to go back to last year. Let's understand something here. Last year, everything was new in Detroit. New head coach, new offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, new quarterback. It was new everything. New everything. Mm -hmm. And Jared Goff was arguably one of the last new pieces that got brought in. The the coaching staff had already been brought in. He got traded with Stafford very much towards the very end of, of the offseason pretty much before they started their draft procedures. So when he came in, he did not have a whole lot of time to really put his imprint, so to speak, into the offensive scheme development. It was more or less what mm-hmm. Anthony Lynn wanted to run, or as you just you put you pointedly put it, was Anthony Lynn was pretty much telling Jared Goff, listen, this is what I want you to run. What we don't know is how well that actually worked with Jared Goff. But what we can pretty much take a good guess on, an educated guess on, is it didn't work very well. Because, again, there were a few couple <laughs> of weeks when Jared Goff had some talent and he looked okay. And then when the talent was gone due to injury, it was, a, it was an unmitigated disaster. When Ben Johnson and Dan Campbell took over... We already had heard some reports back then that they were actually talking with Jared Goff and, listen, what can we do to help make this better for you? Like you said, they made it a partnership. They were like, how can we help you be better? And, again, I go back to the offseason. Brad Holmes himself said several times, he's like, we want to put Jared Goff in a chance to succeed. What better way to put him in a chance to succeed than having a partnership where your offensive coordinator sits down with your quarterback in the offseason and says, okay, Jared, we're going to put some things to challenge you, but we want to know, what can we do to make this offense better for you? How can we make it work better for you to get the maximum results and the maximum talent output from you? So for me, it shows a commitment to not only to the Lions' success, but it shows a commitment to Jared Goff that they're like, listen, we want you to succeed because if you can make this succeed, we're set going forward and we can continue to build the team around you. That's the message I think it sends. Now, whether or not Jared Goff has a career year, again, we've disagreed on it. I think that he could, but again, it remains to be seen. And that I will take with a grain of salt. Yeah, definitely too. No matter what happens with golf this season or, or how I feel about it or how anybody does, doing stuff like this, like making him a partner and working with him, 
it puts them in the best situation to hopefully have that season. So you can't fault them for doing this. Hopefully it pans out. If it doesn't, I don't think this will be a reason. If he doesn't have a great year, you won't be like, oh, they gave him too much say in the offense. I think this is one of those things that can only help because even though Goff, he's not getting paid to be a coach, these guys are smart. They've been playing football for their entire lives. He knows what he's good at. He knows what he's bad at. It's just another mind in the room. Absolutely. Collaboration. That's the best way to move forward. When you become Bingo. secretive, when you become one central minded and you're not bringing in multiple viewpoints, that's when things start to shut down. Like we saw with Matt Patricia, who thought he knew everything and he could just run whatever he wanted. And it's no, sir, not going to happen. Yep. Yep. The, the other thing is when we're talking about Ben Johnson, moving into the next topic here is that Ben Johnson probably gave us the most current information that we have talking about Jamison Williams this year. And he said that he has a hard time envisioning Williams being ready to go week one. Now, that news right there is a drastic contrast to what we had heard from Jamison Williams saying that he'd be ready to go by OTAs, which is right now. So the thing is, Ben Johnson clarified it. He said that even if he physically is ready to go, he just doesn't think that he's going to be mentally ready because he's not going to have time to work with the quarterbacks, get on the same page with Jared Goff. So my question is, if that's how Ben Johnson feels or that's the message that he's already bringing out, when do you actually think that Williams joins the starting unit? When do you think the earliest we could see him actually get on the field with Goff and the rest of the offense? I will say this. I think in that situation, Ben Johnson's probably being a, like a little bit of a mouthpiece for the organization. And I understand what they're saying. If Jamison Williams believes he is, he could play tackle football right now. That's awesome. But I understand where they're coming from, and I like it. Like, we don't rush him back. You just trade it up for him. He's our brand-new shiny toy. Don't force him to play if he's not all the way ready. Like, the worst-case scenario, the worst-case scenario <laughs> is that he just re-tears his ACL. That lose my mind if that happens. I cannot. I can afford Jamison Williams. I can afford him to come back in week four, week six, week eight. I can afford him to maybe get off to a slow start, struggle with the chemistry. I can't for my sanity for waking up tomorrow morning. I can't afford for him to play week one, get hit in the knee, and he's out the entire year back to square one. That uh, can't happen. Cannot happen. That is the one thing that can't. So if they do hold him out. I'm into it, and I think it'll probably be a little bit of a how bad do we need it type situation, right? If we start the season off, they're 2-0, and 3-1, and 4-2. and They're stacking up wins. They're cruising along. Things look pretty good without Jamison. I think they're just going to extend and extend. Maybe he'll start taking practice reps, just easing him in as slowly as they possibly can because, hey, things are going pretty well right now. If it's not broken, you don't need to fix it. But on the flip side, if – God forbid they start off 0-2, 1-3, oh, it's bad news Bears, Dan Campbell, because the Lions fan base, there will not be a whole lot of patience for something like that. I think in a situation there, then they probably go, okay, Jamison, we're 0-2, oh, you're playing this week. You're playing this week. Because also, even though he said it's a mental thing, I don't know how much help Jamison needs. Like you put him out there and you say, go straight and he'll be open. So <laughs> I think it's more so than just being careful. That's my tip. I'll say this one way or the other. I think if Jamison says and feels that he's physically ready to go, I'm going to trust the player nine times out of 10 
with them being able to say, okay, I know where I'm physically at. I know I can physically perform. I'm going to go out there and perform. Because we've seen it over the years. Best example I can think of is our own Matthew Stafford. There were times where he medically should not have been cleared to play games because he was dealing with various ailments and injuries. But he's like, no, I'm going to play. I know what I can handle. I know what I can deal with. Another guy, granted it's from the Green Bay Packers, and he's retired, Brett Favre. That guy played through tons of injuries because he knew what he could handle. He knew what he could deal with as far as a pain management thing. So if Jamison mm -hmm. Williams says that he can physically perform that doesn't bother me. That's not my primary concern. My primary concern is, as you said, one, if he goes out there and re-injures that same ACL or, heaven forbid, injures something else, or two, he goes out there, and again, as we were talking with Ben Johnson, he gets overwhelmed. Again, wide receiver is a very easy position for the most part to transition from college to the NFL. But again, it's an entirely different talent level you're dealing with. You're not dealing with these college corners, which usually are playing further back or they're not playing up in your face and they're not getting 100% physical. NFL corners, they're going to get physical with you every time you practically come off the line, whether they're playing off or playing up front. So I don't want him getting overwhelmed. But I will say this to answer the question, if the Lions were to hypothetically hold him out and say, listen, we're going to wait, the latest I could see them holding him out is until after the bye week, which is in week six. Because at that point, you're a third of the way through the season. You've given him an extra month and a half to pick up the offense, get healed, whatever else there is. Week seven, you come out firing, and you've got a whole new weapon to add to the offense, and you just come out shooting bullets. That's my that probably is their Yeah, that probably is their target. That makes a lot of sense. I would assume that's where they're eyeballing. Yeah, and then those six weeks – in between where Jamison thinks he can play, they're probably just going, you know what, let's not take any chances with this guy. Week seven, he'll still get a very healthy portion of the season. Hopefully, we're talking about him making, helping us make a playoff run. Ideally, I, I like that. After the bye week, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm into that. Let's do it, Dan Campbell. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, now, we're talking about the offense because obviously the offense got a lot of news in the OTA sessions this week. <laughs> so we've been talking about how good this offense could be, how freaking Ben Johnson could help Jared Goff have a potential career year, taking him to new heights, so to speak. We've been talking about Jamison Williams. We've been talking about the play calling. Now let's talk about something that's not necessarily the most lovable thing to talk about, and that's the backup quarterback position. Because for as sharp and as confident that Jared Goff has looked in these OTA practices that we've seen, Tim Boyle, the backup quarterback, he has looked the exact opposite. He has just looked downright awful, like terrible. So the question I have to say here is, <laughs> heaven forbid, again, knock on wood, Goff getting injured, which is highly unlikely because he's one of the more durable quarterbacks in the NFL. How imperative do you think it is for the Detroit Lions to actually get a better backup option than Tim Boyle and David Blau? Hey, listen, if they're not going to, uh, somebody sacrificing a lamb, some sort of a blood oath to promise that Jared Goff doesn't get hurt. If Jared Goff gets hurt, everything we've talked about the last couple of weeks, all these kumbayas you and I have had on here talking about, why not? The offense will be good. Dan Campbell, the defense, the playoffs, why not? All of that, forget about it. Forget it. If Goff gets hurt and they don't have some sort of a backup plan – Mail it in. We'll see you in 2024 or whatever, 2023. I don't even know. 
We'll see you next year, though, if Jared Goff gets hurt. I, I'll be honest, going through the draft, I was shocked that they didn't pick up a QB because we didn't need these OTAs to realize Tim Boyle stinks. No offense. Guy's bad at football, or at least at the NFL level. David Blau doesn't have much either. So if Jared Jared Goff gets hurt, I can't believe that's a sentence, by the way. If Jared Goff gets hurt, we're screwed. Yeah, I'll say this right now. Like we said last week, this whole season starts and ends with Jared Goff. The success we're going to have starts and ends with Jared Goff. And if Jared Goff gets hurt, it's going to be like hitting a brick wall how fast it ends. Because here's the thing. You highlighted how bad Tim Boyle has been at the NFL level. Here's the thing. He was just as bad at the college level. If you go back and look at his college (laughs) statistics, he had a one to two interception ratio in touchdown interceptions in college. And what did he do last year with the Lions? He had a one touchdown to two interception ratio with the Lions. So it's okay here. When we hear about these OTA sessions where he's throwing interceptions that go all the way to the house, he's throwing interceptions to rookies, he's looking very inconsistent and unable to complete passes. I'm sorry. I have all the confidence in Jared Goff right now because there's nothing that tells me I shouldn't. But if Goff goes down, I'm going to be like, I'm writing my ticket to the draft in 2023 because that's the next thing we can look forward to because I have no confidence in Tim Boyle or David Blau. I'll be honest, Boyle is a – he's a Boyle that needs to be lanced. Like, we need to find someone better than him. Because the question I have to ask is, what in the thunder are you waiting on? What in the thunder are you waiting on to give you the indication that Tim Boyle needs to be replaced? If he can't cut it out in OTAs when you're running the most vanilla and basic offensive scheme installs and he's having problems against backups or against rookies – He's not going to be doing well if he gets called into the game and golf gets injured against starters. We're going to be in a world of hurt. Maybe we're looking at Tim Boyle wrong, though. We're talking about him running an offense and scoring points. Maybe we started, We got to start looking at this guy. Our defense is flying high this morning because they're just, oh, Tim Boyle threw a pass, interception. Oh, Tim Boyle's got the football, fumble. Our defense has never felt better. These guys, they're on cloud nine. They think they could take on the 85 Bears, and you know who that's a credit to? Offseason Tim Boyle. He's just pumping up everybody's tires. So maybe we don't want to put him in a game to actually seriously run offense. Maybe you keep the guy around because he's like Santa Claus for putting people in good moods if they play defense. Like this dude, you get an interception. You get an interception. Oh, Okuda, you haven't played in a while? You're a little nervous? You need some confidence back? All right, here you go. He's going to run it out. I'll hit you right on the numbers, Jeff. Maybe that's why Tim Boyle's around. If that's the case, don't hate it. If we want him to play offense, though, we we got problems. Yeah, I mean, see, here's the thing. If you're talking about it like that, then I guess. But I find it hard to believe because the way that teams work, the way that coaches work, they want to put the best product forward. They don't want some loony out there trying to make everybody else feel better by performing poorly. Listen, I don't know. I hope that's not the case, because if it is, I'd seriously have to question the methodology. But again, I just I think that the the backup quarterback position is a very precarious, very tenuous uh, situation that needs to at some point be addressed, whether it's by signing somebody that gets cut from another team, whether it's maybe trading a low round draft pick for somebody or 
poaching somebody off of somebody else's practice squad. Whatever the case is, there needs to be a better competition in the backup quarterback room. And right now, we just don't have it. Because when nope. Tim Boyle's pretty much going unchecked and he's throwing interceptions on a daily rate, it's like, mmm, that's not something I want to hear. No, happy for the defense. Shout out the Detroit Lions defense. Hope you guys had a great <laughs> week, couple weeks, hanging yeah. out with Tim Boyle. Speaking of defense... Let's talk about the fact that, okay, the offensive, the, the defense has been in attack mode. That's what we've been hearing from the news reports for the last however many weeks. That's what Aaron Glenn has built this defense up to be, attack. We are going to keep bringing it to you every time we get a chance to do. Now we're hearing the same thing about the offense. We're hearing how they are constantly just going to be putting full throttle. They're going to be putting the pedal to the metal. They're going to be trying to put defenses on their heels so when I hear both of those things coming from both the offense and the defense and it sounds like to me that the Detroit Lions pride is going to be on the prowl like they're going to be looking for whoever they can to devour my question is how aggressive do you think that both sides of the ball are really going to be in this season do you think it's all talk or do you think that we're going to see a Lions team that comes out with a ferocity that is going to just take it to teams on a non-stop level I certainly hope it's not all talk. Nothing, maybe in the world for sure in sports, nothing pisses me off more than when teams are just laissez-faire and sit back and are playing not to lose versus playing to win. It drives me nuts. Like a fourth quarter, if you're up 10 points, let's say, and now the offensive game plan is run it three times and punt for an entire quarter. I actually want to punch my television. So I hope they get aggressive with it. I feel like last year we were a pretty aggressive team. Obviously, didn't have anything to lose. Went for it on a lot of close fourth downs. Felt like they were always trying to score points. It felt like they made decisions and played to win games versus not to lose, which is another thing going back to Dan Campbell that I really liked about him. And has even though it stunk, the, the record and everything, gave me faith in his vision. So I think, and I certainly hope, that they come out and play aggressive because listen, you're playing football. You're in the NFL. You're either going to do everything you can to win or don't play. Don't give me the, Oh, we're up four and there's only three minutes left. So let's not take even a 1% risk on any of these plays. Can't stand it. And going back to the Patricia era guy never got after the quarterback. It was obvious. We couldn't get to the QB with a four man rush. So what? He, did, he never liked to blitz anyway. I'm sitting there, dude, you got to do something. The definition of insanity is the way you call defense. You got to do something. <laughs> so for the love of God, I hope they get aggressive with it. And I believe that they will. I'll just say this. The, the way I see it is that when you've got Josh Pascal, you've got Aiden Hutchins, you've got all this extra talent on the defense that is about trying to just sock you in the mouth and mm -hmm. kicking butt and taking names like as far as i'm concerned i can't see any reason why they wouldn't and the reports we keep hearing out of the practices is that's the way they have built the schematic of this defense is that they're going to bring multiple fronts they're going to be versatile they're going to put guys on the ball off the ball inside outside they're going to try and find every possible advantage they can to just bring it to opposing offenses and 
after watching, as you said, the Patricia years where we just saw Lions constantly always playing on their heels. They weren't bringing it to teams. They were waiting for the teams to bring it to them. And it's, dude, that's not the point of the defense. The point of the defense is to stop the opposing offense, not to wait and see what they right. do. I hope exactly like you say. I hope that the Lions both offense and defense, they come and they just want to play smash mouth football, whatever way it is, whether it's on offense and they're throwing the ball over the field or they're running it right up the gut or whether it's on defense and they're just trying to tear people in half. I, that's what I want to see. But absolutely, we'll just have to, that's the we'll most fun to way to watch see. too. Oh, mm-hmm. for, for sure. I love seeing people get hit hard and you're like, Ooh, I wonder if he's going to get back up. Yeah. Now, it's just, I, I, if we're going to lose, don't lose being passive. Lose being aggressive. Oh, no, I would much rather lose going down swinging rather than getting my right. my clock clobbered. Right. Now, right. with that being said, one of the biggest defenders for the Lions is Romeo Aquara. But if you paid attention to the news, like it seems like he's disappeared off the face of the earth. Nobody has heard anything about or from Romeo Aquara in a long time. And the thing is that every time we have these pressers with Dan Campbell and other members of the team, one of the first questions that's usually asked is injury updates. How's Jamison Williams doing? How's James Mitchell doing? How's Jeff Okuda doing? So on and so forth. They're wanting injury mm-hmm. updates to see how these guys are doing. But nobody's talked about Romeo Aquara. Nobody's even mentioned his name. So... The, the thing I've got to ask is, at what point do you get worried if he's actually going to be able to come back from recovery and be able to play? Because at this point, we haven't heard anything. So now I have to start and wonder, like, at what point in his recovery is he even at? I'd say I'm already a little worried, to be quite frank. I know it's only June, but, like, to be totally ghosted, nobody's heard a thing. That's less than ideal. Give us something. So I don't feel great. And not having Romeo Okwara would be very unfortunate because as you just mentioned, this organization, they've gone all in now on the defensive line. We obviously have already, we've had the Okwara brothers and now you add Pascal and you add Hutchinson. That's a, that's a nice group. That's a nice group if they all can play. So it's like you take one step forward, you take a step back now. Okwara just doesn't exist. He's where's Waldo and nobody can find the guy. For, for me, the thing about it is that, I hate saying this, because when we signed Romeo Aquara to an extensive deal, I was very excited because of the fact that he had such a, a successful campaign where he had double-digit sacks after we re- before uh-huh. we signed him. The fact that I'm starting to think of here is that, okay, we haven't heard anything from him. We haven't heard anything about him. At my at The first thing I'm thinking of is the business side of it. We just sunk all that money into bringing him back and we have no idea if he's even going to play this year. So it's like, how much yeah. money did we potentially just waste? Are we having another Trey Flowers deal here? Is that what we're about to be on with Romeo Aquara? I don't want another one of those. I don't want no. a guy that we spent millions upon millions of dollars and no. he can't stay on the field or never gets back on the field this year. So yeah, that's Flowers, the biggest yeah. concern I have because even, heaven forbid, Romeo Aquara doesn't come back. We still have Aline McNeil. Levi Onzerike, his brother Julian Aquara, Josh Pascal, Aiden Hutchinson. We've got mm-hmm. plenty of depth and off and defensive talent on that line to where even if Romeo doesn't come back, would it still hurt? Yeah, but it wouldn't be like, oh, let's be ripping a Band-Aid off of a very sensitive area versus, ah, it's whatever. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but we can live with it. 
that's just yeah. that's just my thought process. I agree. It is a. I. It sucks that we haven't even begun the year and we're out here talking about one of our more prominent defensive linemen. Just nobody knows where he is. Does his mom know where he is? Have we tried contacting her? <laughs> Something. You never know. You never know because maybe she's at home feeding him chicken noodle soup. Jerome Bettis used I to do it with the with Something. the chunky clam chowder. Yeah, break out the Campbells, whatever you got to do. Elevate the foot, whatever it is. Get him an IV. I don't care. Get this guy. Just just have him make a phone call. Let him know, you know what? Hey, Dan, it's going to be okay. Just give me that. That's all I want. Absolutely. And with that being said about phone calls, we have reached the end of this phone call with all of you, the viewers. It is now time to call yet an end to another episode of Pride or Die. With me, I have Nick Bradley and I'm David Pike. And thank you for once again watching another episode of Pride or Die. We will be back next week, same time, same place. And with that, one pride baby and Pride or Die. Pride or Die, Dave. We'll see you guys next week. Absolutely. I'm a kid and you know I be on the way. Yeah. You know I be on the way.